Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the pod that shares the stories of those affected by suicide. Lost a loved one? Attempted it yourself? Come listen in with your host, Elaine Lindsay. Elaine's mission? End the silence, stigma, and shame about suicide, ideation, and mental health. Sharing your burden can lighten your load. Elaine says we must normalize the conversation to make it easier for you to voice your pain and be able to ask for help. Reaching out to another human being when you're in need of a listening ear must become the norm. Please note, the Suicide Zen Forgiveness podcast is for education only. Some of this subject matter could be triggering. For those of you that are either grieving or having mental health problems, please call your local suicide hotline or mental health office if you need immediate help. And now, here's your host, Elaine Lindsay. And it's exciting for me to be able to introduce you to someone who's in one of the, I guess, genres that absolutely fascinates me, and that is hypnosis. I have used hypnosis through the years, and I find it incredible. And in fact, I'm pretty sure I saw our next guest in 2012 when I was in Vegas. Kevin's amazing journey began as a child in Detroit. Not an idyllic childhood, by the way. He was adopted, he was bullied, he was abused. But Kevin harnessed his own power to become a headliner in Las Vegas. We're going to talk about all of that and more. Thank you so much for joining me, Kevin. My greatest pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a very serious subject, and it's probably pretty far from the hypnosis that you do in your show, but this is, I believe, a message we really have to get out there. And as the audience knows, I'm on a mission to end the silence, the stigma and shame about suicide loss and ideation. So I'm going to thank you, and I'm going to ask you to Go ahead and give us a little bit of your background, starting where you're most comfortable. Like you said, I do the show Hypnosis Unleashed in Las Vegas. I've been fortunate enough to headline here for 13 years. My book just came out called Deep Into My Eyes from Victim to Vegas Headliner. I was very fortunate we debuted it number one uh, in new releases. And the book actually starts when I was about 15 and a half and me wanting to kill myself. Me literally being ready to die. The book then flashes back to everything that led up to that and then what stopped me from doing it. And we'll talk about this a lot. And sorry, I'm trying to get this in camera and make sure it's visual. What gave me the idea for the book is when I saw this cover and I purposely had to buy the rights for it. Oh, wow. Uh, Yep, because this sums up my story. For those of you who can't see it super clearly, it's a school of fish grouped up to look like a shark to chase a shark away. Because as we'll talk about, one of the things that truly saved my life and has allowed me to grow was building a community around me that helped support me and build me up. Because without that community, I could not have made it. That's such a good point. I'm just going to stop you there because that is critical. And as the audience, some of you already know, I am one of those people who had an incredibly bad habit of 
surrounding myself with walls and trying to do everything myself because in a weird way, when we are hurting as much as we do, when we are on the edge of suicide, when we are in pain, we tend to want to protect those around us that matter. Yes. And so we build these huge walls that in actual fact make things so much worse. Mental health, we've gotten to a point where we're understanding how important mental health is. But one thing that people still don't understand about negative mental health, about addictions, about suicidal thoughts is, and I'll just put that all under the umbrella of negative mental health, is negative mental health is self-fueling. It will do everything it can to keep itself functioning. And the number one way that negative mental health can keep itself growing is through isolation. Another incredible point. And that's one of the things that I want us everybody to speak to is the fact that as children, Nobody talks about these things because we're always told, first of all, it's an adult conversation and adults don't want to talk about it either. But we're not told. Another guest, Rex Sykes, talked about us never being taught to drive our brain. Mm -hmm. And on top of driving our brain, we are not taught that every thought that runs through your head is A, not true, B, not real, and C, we don't have to act on them. My my wife is actually currently, she has a children's show that she does for elementary school shows based on social-emotional learning and uh, growth mindset. But she just started adding into the show a very large segment about negative self-talk. And it started when... It wasn't a major part of the show, but she asked all the kids because she has a donkey puppet that says bad things to her. And she goes, does anybody else have a donkey voice in their head? And not only did all the kids raise their hand, so did all the teachers. Teachers, yeah. And she realized that is such a big conversation starter that we have those negative thoughts. And she's talking to kindergartners through fifth graders who are all saying, yes, I have these thoughts. And they think they're alone. I think everybody, to a certain extent, suffers from the misbelief that somebody else has it all figured out. I speak badly to myself. I know this person. They're totally in control of their own life, and they never say a bad thing about themselves to themselves. And I don't think that's true anywhere. I think all of us deal with that to a greater or lesser degree. And when you're a kid, it's so much harder because you don't have the life experience to really judge how bad is this situation. Now, for me, I was being severely bullied and abused at school. My parents had an idea about the bullying, but it was that was still at a time where, oh, that stuff happens. And no, that stuff does not happen. Mm -hmm. That stuff does not just happen. I had the opportunity to change schools in 10th grade. And it was the summer in between 9th and 10th grade where I was ready to kill myself. And I had actually planned everything out. I was ready to do it. And I had just the weirdest epiphany. And that's that. What if everybody, what if everything everybody had told me was wrong? 
and what if I could change that? And I made a prayer unlike any other prayer I'd ever prayed in my life because I realized part of what needed to change was me. And in doing so, I ended up writing a list. I talk about this in the book. I made three lists. I made a list of everything I hated about myself, which was a very long list. I made a list of things I liked about myself, which was an incredibly short list. And I made a list of everything I wanted to be. And instead of killing myself that night, I actually just went to sleep. I just, as soon as I had finished writing those lists, I was exhausted. I was exhausted in the best way possible. And for those of you who have had that epiphany moment, you understand that with releasing certain anger about yourself and seeing it all written out allowed me to just kind of let that all go. And then when I started in a new school, I ended up making friends in a place I never thought I would make friends. I had come from going to Catholic schools from kindergarten through ninth grade. And the first place I made friends there were with the misfits, the punks, and the burnouts. And they embraced me. And kids can be complete idiots. They can be mean. They can be cruel. They can be everything. I had a horrific stutter. Oh. I had a paralyzing stutter that because of my new group of friends, I was able to get rid of in less than six months because this of, of punks and misfits. And you think this hardcore image, right? Easier with this hand. Sorry. They let me do this for months. They let me meter out my words. Whether I was tapping my fingers, tapping a pencil, to, they gave me the room to speak like that. And in six months, I had my voice. And it was incredible because I'd never had that before. And that was when I was writing all this stuff down, that's when I realized that was the importance to my story. It wasn't just that I survived the idea of the suicidal thoughts. But I learned to put together a community. And I'll say this right now. If your school is not your community, I've known many people who will say that same thing if they're very bullied in school. Find an organization that is not attached to your school. I don't care if it's a version of scouting that's a town over. I don't care if it's a dojo, a martial arts studio that's maybe one or two towns over. Find somewhere where you can start again and make friends. And one of the, my favorite ways to judge the word friend, friends always make fun of each other in a growing way. But for every time a friend will make a fun teasing comment, they'll usually do three or four things to help build you up. And that's what you're looking for. And there are people I know who never wanted to leave school because the abuse came from home. And when that's true, find somebody in the school you trust. They can help. They can help you find organizations. They can help you find places where no, they won't take you from your family. No, you don't have to worry about all these other. They can find resources for you to help you to get you through that. Because no matter where you look, we all need a community. Oh, yes. Yes. 
and we'll also talk about the other main suicide. There are other two other suicidal moments. Um, when I was 24, I was living with my girlfriend. We got into a fight, and I came back the next day and found her. Because now, what I didn't know is her mental history before we started dating. Um, but she had committed suicide and left me to find her. And I know that. And it put me through, of course, a train wreck spiral for quite a while. Yeah. About eight to nine years after that, I'm adopted. When I was 30, I decided to find my birth parents. Turns out my birth father's hobby since he was nine years old is magic and hypnosis. We just immediately just blended. It's been amazing. Um, unfortunately, when I, met my, when I met my birth mother, she was deeply in the throes of alcohol. And alcoholism and suicide would take her life as well. But at least by that point, I had the tools to guide my brother and sister, her son and daughter, wow. through that as well. And people think that people will be better off when they're gone. That is never, ever true. It is a scar that never fades. A, a, a parent who loses their child to suicide never heals that hurt. And a, a child who loses their parent always carries that wound. Even losing a de very dear friend never goes away. No, it doesn't. It stays with you. And that's why I'm so adamant about saying build community, find people around you, grow with those people. And when something traumatic happens, don't run away from people, run to somebody. Once again, the mental illness always tells you to isolate because you don't want to expose people to this trauma. Yeah, and oddly enough, it can be very. Oh yeah, but oddly enough, most of the things that you look as a look at as a trauma, when you're looking at it from your own eyes, it's ten out of ten on the trauma scale. But to other people who aren't as emotionally connected, they may only look at it as you know one, two, or three, and they have the ability to go, oh, that, yeah, I can help you with that. That's no problem. That's such a good point because when I was 16 and we lost Andrea, it forced me into very deep isolation. I did not want to feel any of these feels. And I went down a very bad road. Some of our other friends that were as friendly, that we were a group that hung around together. Now we talk and it was not the life-changing event. It was for me. But later, there was a very good reason for me to be affected the way I was. And it's why I'm sitting here in front of you today. Because my trauma happened so early, unlike you who had gone through your own first, Andrea's passing was actually an incredible gift because it gave me the ability to understand being one left behind. Yes. It always gave me pause when it came to that pivotal moment for me. I had another friend of mine. 
who shared his story with me because he was 14 when he was ready to kill himself. Mm. And this is somebody who was older than, than me and he really thought he had it all together in this idyllic childhood and everything. And he was obviously didn't. But he told me that just before he killed himself, he had a weird idea. And the idea was, okay, I did it. Okay, you know what? I did it. I killed myself. I'm dead. I died right now. So every minute after, that's a gift. And that's how he lived the whole rest of his life. Every moment from that moment was something he was not supposed to have had. And so he was grateful for it. And I hear this, I hear so many times when people have picked themselves up after losing someone and gone on to make a difference, which I think is incredibly powerful and wonderful. It isn't always the case, and it takes some of us a lot longer than others to get the message. And everybody heals their own way. Everybody deals with grief their own way. And everybody deals with trauma their own way. But when we have a community we can talk to, it makes all the difference. Uh, Another thing that I talk about in Deep Into My Eyes is one year from that, I had a job as a camp counselor. And as the clock ticked from 11.59 to midnight on my birthday, one of the guys has set an alarm and my bunk was singing happy birthday to me. One year before that, I was ready to die. And now I had a community celebrating and embracing me. And it's so amazing. That is out there for you. It really is. And sometimes, and one of the hardest things to do is to go and look for it. Because it's hard. It really is. And Lord knows there are a lot of negative sides to the internet. But the great thing about the internet is somebody shares the same hobbies as you. Somebody near your hometown has set up a group that gets together and meets about some topic you enjoy. It's out there. And everybody who walks into that group all walked into that group for the first time once. And they know what it feels like to be that person walking into that group for the first time. Uh And if you don't know what to say when you walk into a new group, I'll give you the answer right now. Just ask people questions about themselves. Be genuinely interested in others and it will come back to you. Just in that nugget, that is worth its weight in gold. Because we humans, 
we do like to have people shine the spotlight on us. And when you are a child who has had difficulty, who has perhaps been relegated to the back of the line, to not being looked on fondly, or you know, for older kids who are replaced by a, a baby, uh, who feel replaced by a baby, all of those scenarios, that negative mental state builds up into this huge, horrible story that tells you you're worth nothing and you don't belong and you whatever negative. That fighting that, yeah, say fighting that, fighting those thoughts has to become part of your daily routine. Well, there's also something in there too. And it was the one line that I loved from the Harry Potter series. It was when Harry's talking to Dumbledore and he says, is this real or is it just happening in my head? And Dumbledore's reply is, well, just because it's happening in your head, does that make it any less real? And I think that there's a lot, especially with kids, where I think one of the mistakes we make as we get older is that we forget how important things are when we're young. Yeah. How everything when you're young you just feels so vital and important. But we also tell kids a lot, oh, that's just in your head. Yeah, it's in my head. We agree. Help me get it out. Yes. And I know for me, going through all the negative experiences I went through as a kid, I don't want to give the adults in a pass. No. Um, oh, God, no. But I will say that bullying wasn't quite recognized as no. the problem that it's recognized as now. Yay, there's some advantage. But I'm not going to say kids have it easier today because my mm -hmm. bullies weren't allowed to follow me home in my pocket. Theirs are. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Yeah. And, and yeah, I don't... Oh, sorry, don't mean to no, interrupt no. you there. I, 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 I was just going to say, go for it. Go, go ahead. You're my guest, you okay. go ahead. I was just going to say, especially when you've been abused... It can be very hard to trust somebody because you figure one of two, th you start to believe one of two things is true. Either they're not going to listen to you or they're going to make your problems worse. And sometimes it takes a while to find the adult who understands and can help provide you with the space to heal. Uh, absolutely. I think that's a really good point. And I, whether it was then or it's now, it's really important to allow children to feel the feels, but yes. to acknowledge that the ones that don't feel so good, you know what? They don't last long. If you just let them happen, they will pass. But we come from, okay, a time when in the 50s and 60s, you fell down and hurt your knee. You went in the house and mommy gave you a cookie. Okay. You went on the schoolyard and bullies bullied you. You went home and talked about it. 
And if you were a boy, your dad cuffed you across the ear for being a wuss, and your mom gave you a cookie. That was the answer to everything. It was, no, don't have those bad feelings. No, no, let's either give you food or let's smack you. It really was almost as simple as that and as sad as that because just because the adults didn't acknowledge, it didn't make those feelings go away. And then as you go into my world, now we'll move it up to the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Mm-hmm. Now you had a new problem. Single parent. Maybe you didn't even get that talk with dad. Maybe you didn't even get the cookie from mom. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you just went home, made your hot pockets, sat and watched TV and waited for it to happen again tomorrow. Yeah. We and now kids are living in a world still where it's both parents are working. And things yeah. are moving fast and fast. And sometimes kids don't have people that they know that they can go to and talk to. I read something really, really strange once. It said that there are, right now, presidents, vice presidents, CEOs of companies who have never known life without the Simpsons. Their parents have divorced. They've changed schools. They've lost friends. But Homer and Bart have been there every week of their life for over 35 years. Oh, my God. And some people have talked about, and and this sounds really strange to, to be talking about The Simpsons in this way, but for some people, quite honestly, it's the only permanent thing they've ever had in their life. It's odd, or maybe not, that's the example that we're using. have never seen an episode of The Simpsons. But they've always... Intentionally. Yep. Because I found it just repellent. However, my son and my husband did watch it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Bye. it's, yeah, it's Keep going. bizarre. I was just going to say, it is bizarre that it is that constant. I talked to someone recently about the fact that I was so adamantly against it, but it is the one constant yeah. that your generation and those that come after have known. It's the one thing that's there. Plus, it's also low-stakes drama. You know that at the end of every episode, everything's going to be fine, and next week it's going to be the same. So not that far from Leave it to Beaver and... My right. three sons, as we would yep. think. Or the Golden Girls, or any of those shows where you could just watch it and know that next week everything's going to be fine. It was like that teeny tiny hit of dopamine at the end. Mm-hmm. Yes, everything turns out. You can breathe your sigh of relief and go yep. on with your life. It's uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> something I saw about Disney show The Mandalorian which just said we all love The Mandalorian because it's on Disney and we know that Baby Yoda's going to be okay. If it was on HBO Max, they may have already thrown the little dude in a wood chipper and none of us could handle that. No, and the funny thing is, though, 
if you go back to my childhood, we had some of the most horrific, heartbreaking cartoons known to man. Yeah. Bambi is a murder show. Yep. <laughs> the snowman or whatever, Rudolph, mm-hmm. totally ostracized. Like they all start with. So let's talk about Rudolph. Because yeah. it's the holiday season and this is great. Yeah. I saw something on the internet, and this is actually really important because a lot of people watch Rudolph very differently. It said differences will be shunned and made fun of unless they become exploitable. Yeah. Yes. I know a lot of kids who watch Rudolph and think it's a beautiful story. I hated that story, and I hated Santa. Yeah. Because if Santa knows who's bad and good, they know he knew what the other reindeer were doing to Rudolph. And he let them. He let them until Rudolph's difference became exploitable. As soon as he needed Rudolph, things changed. And see, this is a lot. This is the story a lot of kids do take from that is, oh, I'm it's okay for people to make fun of me unless they can use me. No, which makes it in order for them to use me. Yes. It's far more hurtful. Oh my God. It really is. Yeah. The idea behind it is, of course, everybody connects with the idea of Rudolph because all of us feel different about something. And then your differences are to be celebrated and joy being uniquely you. Yeah. Unless you've been really bullied and abused. And then you see that story in a whole different way. Absolutely. I, that opens this show up to a whole new area. I have two friends who have written a number of books. And the first book by David Rendell was about being flossom. He's six foot five and he only wears pink. <laughs> and he talks about some of the difficulties one has at six foot five like going into an airport toilet (laughs) and some really funny situations. But the overall stories were about celebrating those things that other people shine that bad spotlight on you for. And he and Stan felt about spotlight on them and making them into their greatest strength so they weren't allowing others to use them they were using them themselves and when you have a community around you it's so much easier because as soon as my self-worth is based in a world where I'm being built up I don't care what somebody's saying about me negatively Because I don't care about your opinion because I've got this whole group that's helping me build myself. And honestly, throughout my career, I got into the entertainment field when I was 16. And we just barely, 17, I'm doing like kids parties and then I'm growing and growing until all of a sudden I'm a headliner in Vegas. I've been doing that for 13 years. My, my show Hypnosis Unleashed, I've been really lucky. We've survived not only for 13 years, but we've won the best of awards. Yes. But what I tell that's people is- Vegas. Yep. What I also tell people is 
the beauty of it is I didn't get here alone. There are so many people who helped me get here. There are so many people who I went to for advice. There are so many people I mentioned in the book who helped steer me in the right direction. And you can find those people. The other thing that I've learned is I've learned this to be true 85 plus percent of the time. People who are successful in whatever realm they're successful in all know one really important secret, and that is there is more room at the top for people who want to be good people and successful than there will ever be enough people to fill those positions. And if you reach out to somebody and sincerely say, hey, I'm stuck at this step. What do I need to do to improve? More times than not, if you are willing to listen to the answer, not because there are so many people who they don't want the answer from the expert. They want the expert to regurgitate that what they're doing is correct. And it doesn't work that way. But if you're really willing to listen, you can grow so much. There are so many people who want to see other people succeed. Oh, that is so true. And as you said that about there's more room at the top, what I see is all those people, all those people you've allowed to mentor you, all those people you've reached out to, they're at the top pulling you up. Oh, yes. And there is also... I will say there is an importance to that 15% who are jerks. And honestly, it's been far less than 15% in my world. Other Vegas headliners who I've never actually met. I have been able to reach out to and go, hey, uh, this thing's happening. And they've gone, oh yeah, sure. I'll be there. It's because there's a community there. For the 15% that are jerks, learn from them. Yeah. Learn from them by looking at them and going, I don't want to be that. The nuggets that you're dropping are just incredible. And what I want to add to that is what you look for, you will find. Yes. So why not look for the good and find that? It's... It is a truth in hypnosis that your subconscious is going to dictate some of your actions without you even realizing it. And the more open you are to positivity, and sometimes with positivity, I hate to say it, but you sometimes in our lives, we do have to fake being positive because we don't really have it in us. Yeah, yeah. But after a while, faking being positive and being positive, that line starts to blur until you really do have that positivity in your life. Yeah. I just want to tweak that word. Okay. So it's borrow. Okay. I like that. Yeah. That's a much better word. Until you can own it. I like that a lot better. It takes the fake out of it. Yes, I like that a lot better. That is a way better way of framing it. Well, thank you. And with a community, you can borrow from your community Mm -hmm. so that when you can honestly own it, then you can share yours with others. 
And one of the beauties to sharing with a community is once I realized that I suffered from depression, I told the friends that I care about. And they took a great interest in my mental health. One of, the, one of the great things you can do for depression is physical exercise. Just getting out, walking, moving, you know, just moving. It's not the end-all, beat-all. Please go get help, talk to people. But physical activity helps. My friends would drag me for walks. And I don't mean that they would come to the house and go, oh, hey, let's take a walk. They would physically grab me off the couch and make it clear we're either going for a walk or going for a drag, it's up to you. It's up to you. I love that. I love that. But that's the joy of talking to a community. They'll support you. They'll understand. And there is community for every one of us. Yes. Okay? There, it doesn't matter if you think you're a little weird, hey, I'm a lot weird, and I have community. When I allowed myself to open up, communities all around you, you just have to open up to that opportunity. And so many of us take a little longer to get to where we need to go. But the fact is, the minute you decide to be open, to opportunity, whatever that opportunity is, it presents itself because it's all around us. I firmly believe that we are energy and is attracted to life. So what you put out there, start putting good stuff. And I guarantee that's what you'll see coming back. Very much. And, but also, it's not always instant karma. It's no. an immediate return. So please don't think that in a week you can change everything. Because in all honesty, yeah, but in all honesty, you probably didn't get that deep into your depression in a week. So you can't necessarily expect to get out of it that quickly. Yep. You, Always a process. Yeah. And you get out what you put in. You really do. In anything. Yes. And, and it's just the law of the land, if you will, or Mother Nature, or whatever you want to call it. We do. The more you put in, the more you get out. And that, I think, is something wonderful to aspire for, to I, work on. And I've been fortunate enough to travel the world doing what I love. Yeah. And for me, it was always really interesting when I would achieve a new goal. And I would look at the community that got me there. I'd look at everything that I had done, everything I was doing. And all I could do was be thankful and grateful yes. that I made the decision to change my life instead of ending it. Because there is so much power in tomorrow. Now, granted, in order for tomorrow to work, you usually have to take some action today. Yeah. Yes. But there is power there. Oh my God, absolutely. So let's go back a little bit. Why hypnosis? And I what was, was it that drove you that path? So I started off, like I said, doing like 
costume characters at kids' birthday parties. That got me into clowning. Clowning got me into magic. Magic got me into sideshow. So I was doing all these like weird little variety arts. And when I was 20, I started working with some hypnotists. And I got enrolled in a course for social workers because it was the only way to learn at the time. And I really didn't like hypnosis shows because all the hypnosis shows that I had seen boiled down to I'm a jerk who wants to make you look like an idiot. Yeah. And I didn't like that. And I grew up in Detroit. I had, a, I had the option to go to New Orleans for six months to do my show. Six months turned into five years. And while oh. I met a community of performers who really helped me with this idea of be unique, be you. So if you don't really like the point of the hypnosis show, what do you want the point of, of your show to be? I said, I want the point of the show to be, I have something fun and interesting to share with you. And if you volunteer, I will make you look like a superstar. And as soon as that became the point of everything, the show skyrocketed. It took off. And it's never stopped being fun. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating to listen to what you have to say because unintentionally, the smile just beams from you as you talk about what you do. When also I think about some of the different people in New Orleans, there are also things that I wish, of course. In mm -hmm. New Orleans, I was fortunate enough to know Harry Anderson, who was a great performer, great actor, yeah. better human being. He took a lot of time with me. But I was young and my ego is still afraid. So I didn't learn half as much as I should have learned from him. Now, fortunately, about a year before he passed, my wife and I were able to take him and his wife out to dinner because we were in Asheville where he was living. And I was able to say thank you for everything. Oh. My show was successful. I was doing all these. And I, I really wanted to just take a moment and go, hey, remember all that advice you tried to give to an idiot 25-year-old who didn't know how to take it? I promise you I utilized it properly. Oh, that's and, and that was really gratifying. Oh, my God. That's so amazing. I just adored Harry Anderson. I yeah, he was, was he was a great human being. And as much as you want to kick yourself sometimes for the things you didn't learn at the time, when I moved to Vegas, I was fortunate enough to become very good friends with the amazing Jonathan. Oh, wow. And because of how I didn't open myself up properly with Harry because my ego was scared, I didn't allow that time. Jonathan actually was one of the groomsmen in my wedding. I was one of the groomsmen in his. He was fantastic. We were performing in the same theater together. And I told him I wanted him to come to the show one night because I wanted his take on things. And there was no way he was going to come back to the showroom on a day off yeah. because we had some different show days at the time I was selling DVDs of my show after the show. So you could see what you did on stage. Jonathan walked over, grabbed on the DVDs and just walked out. And he calls me and he goes, look, do you just want me to tell you you're good? Cause Oh my God, you're the best. I love you. I'm like, no, I want you to be real. He calls me two days later. He says, come to the house tomorrow where he had four pages of notes front and back single-spaced, time-coded. Wow. About things to improve. And we went through all of it. And it was all done with love. 
because he knew I wanted to be better and he was willing to do that. It's, it's amazing how many people, like I said, great people know there's room for other people to be great. I don't have words for how grateful I am to have reached out to you. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on. I am touched beyond belief. But more than that, I need you to say thank you to your wife. The fact that she's dealing with negative self-talk with children I think is just incredible. Oh, and I think what she's doing with kids right now is just so amazing. I think it's going to be something that's going to develop into, a, into something that helps a lot of people. Because we have never had the amount of children in therapy, the amount of children with fears and phobias and horrific, detrimental bits in their lives that don't need to be there. But we're not empowering the children because people don't realize how resilient children are, how smart, how powerful, how much a child will bounce back if you just give them the space, the community to do it in. Yes. And letting them know that they're worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, am I glad that the right people let you know how worth it you are. Thank you. Because, you know, the, first of all, your book will be absolutely on the page with transcription and all of the links and Wonderful. where you can see Kevin and yep. how you can reach Kevin. And, and to everybody out there, please feel free to go to Hypnosis Unleashed. Email me if you have questions about hypnosis. The book website is deep into my eyes. We also have some bonus content in there as well, which talks about places you can go to to get help if you're having these feelings. Perfect. I, I, my only ask at this point is, yes. would you come join us again? Gladly. It would be my greatest pleasure. Thank you. I so appreciate that. I'm Elaine Lindsay, and this is Suicide Zen Forgiveness. I have to say with absolutely no reservation, I am so filled with gratitude today to have Kevin as our guest. And I know that you two are finding this just chock full of wonderful nuggets that you can use in your life. Kevin took himself as a child, abused and more, and has hit the pinnacle in Vegas. Being crowned best of Vegas is not an easy feat, and you don't get there without being incredibly nice. Thank you so much. I thank you so very much. We will see you next time when we will have yet another guest to share with you. In the meantime, make the very best of your today, every day, and we'll see you again. Bye for now.
Thank you for being here for another inspiring episode of Suicide Zen Forgiveness. We appreciate you tuning in. Please subscribe and download on your favorite service and check out SZF's YouTube channel or Facebook community. If you have the chance to leave a five-star rating or review, it'd be greatly appreciated. Please refer this to a friend you know who may benefit from the hope and inspiration from our guests. Suicide Zen Forgiveness was brought to you by the following sponsors. Truel Social Media, the digital integration specialists. Let them get you rocking page one in the search results. Canada's keynote humorist, Judy Croon, motivational speaker, comedian, author, and stand-up coach at Second City. Judy has been involved for over a decade in the City Street Outreach Program in Toronto. Lisa Sugarman, Boston-based author, columnist, and crisis counselor with The Trevor Project, America's largest suicide and crisis support network for at-risk LGBTQ youth, storyteller with the National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI, survivor of suicide loss, and mental health advocate. Lisa's purpose aligns with the lanes as Lisa shares content and sparks conversations to help end the stigma of suicide and connect people with the support and hope they deserve. Do you have a story to share? Do you know someone you think would be a great guest? Please go to SZF42.com. And for our American listeners, that's SZF42.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again.